0: Our scripture lesson today, if you'll remain standing with me, comes um, from Paul's writing to folks in Rome uh, who don't know about the Messiah. And I would remind you that Paul uh, previously had been Saul, um, who was a persecutor of the church, who had actually killed Stephen. He was at a stoning, uh, and the Lord somehow miraculously transformed his very life and and had him write more than two-thirds of the New Testament. This is a portion of what he's written uh, so that we too might know the very love of God. Let's share in God's good word together. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us and that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood... Will we be saved through him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. You will give the people an ideal to strive towards. They will race behind you. They will stumble. They will fall. But in time, they will join you in the sun. Like a God, also like a human, always tells the truth. What a ripoff. That's Jesus' story. (laughs) See how how this works? Uh, If you think about, I want you to think about your favorite hero for a moment. Uh, Like, pick one. Like for me, I love Luke Skywalker. He's a great hero. Uh, And you think about Luke's story. Right? Uh, he has this birth nowhere out in Tatooine. Nobody knows where that is. Um, they, he has sort of this mysterious birth. He's not with his parents. Uh, he's with his uncle. Uh, uncle, you know, and, and like Superman, he's got an uncle. Spider-Man's got an uncle. I mean, there's, there's all this sort of spinning around. And then as they get older, they have to figure out who they are. They do some miraculous things. Uh, and then they, they have to basically save the world. That's Jesus' story. And what we find is that these stories touch us deeply because it's our story. Because it's Jesus' story living in us. And so if, as you look at your hero, um, it's known as the messianic archetype. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. And, and these messianic archetypes have a number of things in common. Um, I'm just going to touch on it very briefly. But here are some of the things uh, that occur. There's this odd or miraculous birth. Uh, Jesus, a virgin birth, of course. Uh, Superman comes in uh, from another planet. Um, They're considered an outsider. Uh, In Jesus' story, as a matter of fact, when he's calling the disciples, one of the disciples, Nathaniel, says, Nazareth, are you kidding me? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? They thought of Jesus as an outsider. Some scholars now believe that Nazareth was so small it may have been three, four, five, six families. That's it. A tiny little farming community. Now, families would have had 20 or 30 people in them. But imagine if Jesus' hometown was a town of 120 people. You know, it's like saying, oh, here's Jesus, the Son of God, from Slapout, Oklahoma. You're like, are you kidding me? Right? Does anything good come out of the panhandle of Oklahoma? Well, we know yes, of course. But you know, this is the sort of thinking that they would have had. Now, there was this miraculous childhood as well. Uh, Jesus goes to the temple at 12, and he astounds everybody there because he speaks with authority. He knows things that no one else knows, and how could this young boy at 12 know these things? Uh, At his baptism, he then is sent out into um, the desert, in the Judean desert, and he's tempted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And he goes to this Serious temptation. This happens to our heroes as well. They begin their mission at roughly uh, the age of 30. Um, So there's this time of kind of figuring it out. And then they actually live into their mission. And then, of course, they're betrayed by someone close. Uh, For us, that's Judas. Um, At the Last Supper, Judas is sitting at Jesus' left, the place of honor. He's sitting so close to Jesus that when Jesus goes to reach his hand in the bowl, Judas' hand is there with him. He's at the place of honor. And Jesus knows all of this that's about to happen, and he's betrayed by Judas. And, of course, then there's the sacrificial death, which results in what, friends? Say it with me. Victory. When I um, grew up, we would sing victory in Jesus. Uh, Maybe some of you, all the young people, like, I have no idea what you're talking about. There's a song named Victory in Jesus. Google it. It's, It's there. It's a real deal. So it's victory that when you receive Christ into your life, he has defeated death itself. And so Paul begins to write about the Messiah, someone that people don't know. The, the people in Rome have no idea uh, what this is about. And so in Romans 5, 6, if you want to follow along or look back in your, um, your Bibles when you get home, uh, Paul writes this, For while we were still weak, while we were powerless, while we had no ability to save ourselves, at the right time Christ died for the godly, the ungodly. Uh, will you say at the right time with me? At the right time. Well, what made it the right time? But made it the right time. Many scholars now believe that um, had Jesus come any earlier, we probably would have never heard of him. It was the right time. Until this point in history, there was no common language. There was no common road system. There was no common government. It was simply little tribes warring against each other over and over and over again. But the Roman Empire, they said, never, the sun never set on the Roman Empire. All the way over here in the west from Spain and the Atlantic Ocean over here. Uh, Spain, France, all of Europe uh, over into Turkey. Asia uh, over here. Um, the Middle East right around here. Okay? Okay. Israel, Jordan, Syria, Egypt, Africa, all the way around. This was the Roman Empire, the greatest empire uh, that the world had ever known up to that point. They had the the ability to share information uh, and ideas in ways that had never been known before. And and you could argue uh, may still not be true in the same way today, even now, 2,000 years later. That this Jesus was born at the right time, at the exact time that the message could spread around the world. And so, to, to frame this up, this, the Roman Empire provided all these things: this common roads, common roads, languages, and this vast reach. It's into this situation, into this frame, that we have the story of Jesus. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, which is just a, a tiny bit south of Jerusalem. It's not a big town, but it's bigger than Nazareth. Uh, of course, they have to go there because um, there's a census, and David has to go back to where uh, uh, Joseph has to go back to where he was born uh, in the city of David, Bethlehem uh bet it means place of uh in hebrew and lehem is bread so it's the place of bread and so they go to bethlehem um if you follow the gospel in matthew it says that the the ruler at the time uh, just like moses um killed all the boys under two years of age and so they had to flee for jesus to stay alive in the same way that they had to figure out a way to keep moses alive to provide freedom um to the israelites from egypt Um, some 1300 years before you have this sort of repeat of the story so they flee to egypt when god through uh, angel and dreams tells them it's okay to come back they come back um, to nazareth this tiny little place and then uh, at 12 jesus goes to the temple people figure out uh, that there's something really special about this kid Uh, but he's still a kid because he gets lost on the way home Uh, it is at least a a week's journey by foot Um, and then he stays home for 30 years Now, to me, we just read past this in the Bible, but to me, that's that's really amazing to me. I mean, I did good to stay home for 18 years. Um, But Jesus somehow was obedient and had this warm, loving relationship. He was the oldest of all the children. I mean, we know this, right? He's virgin birth, and then all the other kids come after him. And so he basically, Joseph would have been really old, um, and so probably... Uh, is dead by the time Jesus begins his ministry. So Jesus is the head of the household. He's taking care of things. He takes over his dad's carpentry business. Um, and one of the things, uh, any of you all see The Passion a number of years ago, The Passion of the Christ? When they took some artistic license uh, with the scene, but it, it, I think that was what happened. Was I was, I was kind of surprised by it. It really moved me um, because it, it gave me a glimpse into what Jesus' early life might have been like. And to me, it's miraculous as all the rest of it. It looks a little something like this.
1: Yeshua? Yeshua? (coughs) i ju- <coughs> you're Hi. Where are Where are you? are you no. okay. What's up? I'm a Nash am a i O la al minla la la Here they i fodaknis ta ne. De tramtin ul. Ua sulia dae.
0: There's just a sweetness to that scene. To me, the, the love that he has for his mom, the obedience that he has to his mom, that he's still a boy, yet a man like all of us, always the son of our mom, no matter how old we are. Got to wash up for dinner, got to take off that dirty apron, even though you're obedient. There's, there's just a sweetness to this scene. And of course, he will go to his death and she will be right there with him. And so he lives with his mom, he lives with his family, he has uh, an ordinary life simply being obedient because it's not yet time for him to step into his mission. And then, of course, there is the mission. There's the three years of teaching and challenging authority and healing, having this ministry that the blind would see and the deaf would hear, the lame would walk, those who were demon-possessed would be set free, and the religious leaders hated him for it. You would have thought that people would stand up and cheer and say, yes, here is God himself, and all the things that we learned about the Messiah, how good he is and wonderful he is. They were afraid. They'd never seen anybody do the things that Jesus could do. And they didn't know what to do with it. As a matter of fact, a Roman centurion came and said, Jesus, my son is dying, heal him. And Jesus says, do you believe? And the Roman centurion says, I believe, help my unbelief. And the boy was healed. Now again, you would think that people would celebrate that, not the religious leaders, because you see, Rome had conquered Israel, they had their... Boot the heel of their boot on their neck, and they were like, Jesus healed who? How in the world could you heal and help our enemy? Why would you do that? They didn't understand that Jesus was not only a national hero. He was the hero of the world, the savior of the entire world, both those that we get along with and those that we do not, even those who had come and enslaved our people. But it was in perfect line with the prophet Isaiah who 750 years earlier had written these words. Surely he, Jesus, has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But Jesus, he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises we are healed. The world is healed if we will receive Jesus as our healer as well as our teacher and Lord. This messianic archetype runs through other kind of movies as well. One of my favorite movies uh, that I saw um, a number of years ago is The Green Mile. Um, if you're my age, you may have seen it. If you're younger, go rent it. It's a, it's a great uh, movie. Uh, don't let Stephen King throw you. He, he actually does some good work now and again. So Stand By Me is not bad as, as well. Uh, the Green Mile, uh, there's, a, there's a messianic archetype known as John Coffey. John Coffey is an enormous Uh, African-American gentleman who was really scary looking, but just gentle. He's a gentle giant. He's even afraid of the dark. He's falsely accused, as was Jesus, as these uh, savior figures go, uh, of some horrific crimes uh, against two little girls, which he did not commit. Um, and so he's about, he's on death row. Tom Hanks is his jailer, plays the role of his jailer. And he comes to figure out that there's something special about John Coffey, that he, he does have a great heart and he has spiritual power to help the world and to heal people. And the warden is a hard and, and crusty guy. And he, he's been very, very mean and horrible to John Coffey. But his wife is deathly ill, about to pass. And he, and he realizes that Coffey is really his wife's only hope. And so he reluctantly agrees that, John Coffey can come to his home and, and see if he can heal his wife. It looks a little something like this. I see it. I
1: see it. What? <laughs>
0: her life is restored resuscitated brought back from the very edge of death if you were to follow the story on John Coffey gets deathly ill and they think he's going to die of the very illness that he took upon himself for her And then miraculously, he is resurrected as he expels the disease from himself as well. And this, friends, is our story. Although ours is not made up, ours is not Hollywood. Ours happened on April 3rd, 33 A.D. His name is Jesus, the one savior of the world whose every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord of lords, king of kings, your healer, my healer, the savior of the world, the entire world. That's why we gather. 2,000 years later, that he is here with us. Scholars have now looked and and know that Pontius Pilate lived uh, and reigned from about 26 to 36 AD. There's only a number of years where the full moon that would happen at Passover would happen on a Friday, the Friday uh, that Jesus died. And so it's it's possible that it was 26 or 30 or 33 AD. Um, Scholars now believe that this is the actual day that the world changed for you and for me. For all the world. That this is the day that death was defeated. This is the day that gives all of us new life. This is Good Friday. And by Sunday morning on the 5th, death was no longer reigning the world. Because God had come into the person of Jesus and raised him up. Now the intrigue for us, as it was for the religious people of Jesus' time, is this. That God proves his love for us that while we were still sinners... Still separated from God, not doing anything good on our own. Christ died for us. I would remind you that from the cross, from the cross, Jesus looks over at those around him. Those that spit on him and cursed him and beat him and crucified him. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even those that would kill him. These were not good people, friends. Let's let's not Sunday schoolize it. These are horrible people who killed him and he forgives them. This is the scandal of the cross. Now, we, we throw this word sin and sinners around. What does that mean? Well, it means two things at least. One is to be without a share in what God is doing. When God is moving and God's kingdom is at hand, when we choose to sit in our lazy boy instead of get up and participate, that's sin. It's the sin of omission. We're not doing what God is calling us to do, and that sin. is to be without a share of what's going on in the kingdom. It's also to miss the mark. So it's it's not only not to do the good things we're called to do, but it's also to to do otherwise. Some of it we can help, some of it we can't help, but all of it is sin. This miss the mark concept was an archery um, metaphor that that is used. Uh, You can see here um, that this is going to be a bullseye. That's going to be perfection right there. But you'll notice that that's not the only little hole in this archery. There's one here, 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 here. This guy almost didn't even hit the thing, right? The the archery target. Now, what you may or may not know already is that the distance between here and there is sin. The distance between here and here is sin. There and there, and even there and there. It's all sin, friends. Nobody does this perfectly. Nobody lives life perfectly. Have any golfers in the room? Anybody golf? Yes? A few of you? How many of you have hit an 18? Anybody shoot an 18 last weekend? Bet not. I'm told it's never been done. Probably will never be done. And I would submit to you that shooting an 18 in golf and a full course is easier than living a perfect life. Jesus is the only one that's ever done it. And that's what saves us. It was his sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice that defeats all sin. There was no distance between what God wanted here and how Jesus lived. It was spot on. So when you look at Jesus in his life, you know what God wants. It's not a mystery. And so C.S. Lewis puts it like this. When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly that evil that is still left in him. Mother Teresa would talk very openly about the closer she got with Christ, the more clearly she saw how much further she still had to go. You see, good people know about both good and evil. Bad people do not know about either. You see, until you know Christ, you don't even know what you're doing is wrong. There are all sorts of things that that if we follow Jesus, we know are wrong and bad. But there are still places in the world where people kill each other and they think it's fine. They have no moral problem with it whatsoever. You see, it goes back to Jesus and the teaching and the life that he lived. So Paul goes on to try to tell these folks that don't know about this Messiah, Jesus, what has happened that changed the entire world. He says, much more surely than now that we've been justified by his blood, by Jesus, we will be saved. Will we be saved through him from the wrath of God? It says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Paul's saying, yes, surely this is going to be the case. If you're already connected by his death, we ought to be absolutely right in step with him by his life. Jesus' little uh, brother, James, says it like this. You're cheating on God if all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get. You end up enemies of God and his way. You see, God has to be first. This is what Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else falls into place. But if you flip that, and where you want God to do things for you, you are actually an enemy of God. Uh, Put more directly, it says this, if you'll read it with me. If all you want is your own way, you are an enemy of God. That's as, as direct as I know how to put it, friends. If all you want is your own way, if you want God to do stuff for you, a better job, a little easier life, a little easier family time, you're an enemy of God. The the question for the Christian, the question for anyone who follows God, is what do you want? Where are you moving? How do I join you from here? That's what Christ followers do. They follow Christ. So Christ's life and death was a sacrifice, not for the good people, but for the villains. Can you imagine going to a movie where you go... And Superman saves Lex Luthor. Batman saves the Joker. Do you even buy the ticket to that movie? You see, that's what Jesus did. That's what, it's it's scandalous what Jesus does on the cross. It's not that at the cross, Jesus saves all the good people that believed in him. Uh, Most of them were gone. All the disciples, except John, were hiding. I mean, if he was only going to save the good people, maybe his mom made the list. Maybe. Everybody else is doomed. So it's good news. It's great news for us that Christ dies for the world, for all of the people who did not even worship him, know him, and didn't even do good things for him. As a matter of fact, they killed him. And friends, for you and for me, that's the best news we could ever hear because we too are saved. If God can save them, God can save us, right? Amen? And that means for everybody else. So yes, God saves you, but not just you. Not just you. So, in Matthew, Jesus says this on the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Now, when a rainstorm comes through, Edmund, uh, does the rain fall on just the good homes or all the homes? Serious, you gotta know this answer. All the homes. See, God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God's love is for everyone. And those of us who get it, if you're in the room and you get it, we're supposed to share that good news with everybody who does not yet know that the rain comes from God and it's his blessing. So put another way, if you're a person on Twitter uh, or social media, I invite you to tweet this out. Loving others who loves us is smart. It's smart. It's good business. It's good politics. That, that, um, there's nothing wrong with that. But loving those who hate us transforms the world nothing less than that. Loving those who hate us transforms the world. And what I mean by love is doing good, doing good for those who hate us, praying for those who are enemies, helping those who persecute us, loving them into the kingdom. That's what changes the world. And so we have this question before us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Will we? Will you? Are are you ready to say, yes, Jesus, wherever you go, I'm going with you. Whatever you want to do, I'm doing it with you. Let's go. Let's go. Will we be saved by his life? That's what Christians are supposed to do. That's what sanctification is all about. Not just looking at your past and going, oh, yay, God sent me from my past, but empowering us to a new future. That's the good news. The message writes it like this. But I need something more. And maybe you can uh, be familiar with this passage. For if I know the law but I still can't keep it and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it but I can't do it. I decide to do good but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, what God wants me to do, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that our question? Some of you know what I'm talking about, where you have habits so ingrained in you that you don't want to, but you can't help yourself and you find yourself like, how is this? I'm a grown person and I still can't whip this. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? And the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. Will you say that last part with me? Jesus Christ can and does. You see, with Jesus... A new power is in operation. We're going to talk about more about that next week with the power of the Holy Spirit. But with Jesus, a new power is in operation. And I want to show you that. Uh, I want to invite a young man, Jevin Bush, up uh, to be with us. And um, Jevin, uh, when he came to our church, come on up, um, uh, would, would have said he was an atheist. Didn't believe in God, didn't want to have anything to do with God, but his aunt made him come. And so he's been coming. He's been coming to youth group. We went to camp together. And so um, he shared his testimony of how God is working in his life and coming into his life um, and how he got to this point. And so he did such an awesome job um, at camp. I wanted him to share it with you. And so you can see how God is very much alive
1: and still at work. We all welcome Jevin? Good morning. Uh, My name is Jevin Bush. I'm turning 16 this October, and I'll be going to Santa Fe High School. Uh, my story begins when uh, before I was born when my mother and father were gothics and punks. They wanted to live their lives to the fullest and uh, were just party animals, so they meddled in drugs and did all these bad things like teenagers would. But when they got engaged, they uh, devoted themselves saying, we're going to get clean and we're going to build a better future for our son and daughter. We're going to make a better f- uh, future and give them things that we couldn't have when we were little." So when I was born, for the first seven years of my life, I had a normal military lifestyle. Father was gone two years at a time. And I would go to church with my grandmother, wasn't a big fan. We would just go to a house church. I only went there for the weed, because the wee was the coolest thing there. And so uh, I only went there for the wee, Not the songs, not the singing. Didn't care for God, just wanted the wee. And so uh, when dad came back, when I was seven years old, he was—he was, uh, was going to stay for a while. He was staying for a while, but uh, I remember one night when I was in my footy pajamas up on the flat platform of the staircase with my little sister. They were my mom and dad were arguing over money of or some sort, and my dad left the house to go cool down in his truck or just drive around and uh, relax, and so I just went back back to my business. Nothing out of the ordinary, just an argument, and it was—he was gone about two hours or three hours. And the uh, next thing is we hear a knock at the door, and it was the police. And so my mom sent me upstairs with my little sister, and they, uh, we heard the loudest scream of our lives. We come downstairs to see our mom crying in the kitchen. She said, Bubba, I'm so sorry. Your dad is dead. And they told me that he committed suicide. And I le- later learned that he committed suicide because of PTSD. Um, he was a high-ranking officer, non-commissioned officer. And so he had a lot of orders and commands that he was forced to do that he wished not to do. So he committed suicide out of the fear of hurting me and my mom. So for the how old were you at that time? uh, Around seven, about to turn eight. Okay. Um, He was later buried two days away from my birthday, and a a day worth a day before my sister's birthday, since we're a day apart and two years apart. Uh, Worst birthday gift I've ever had. Uh, it was a downslope from there. I, uh, my mom decided to get back into drugs to uh, ease the pain and grief, and we moved b- into a condo to get away from the place where he died because too many harsh memories. So we lived there, and uh, she uh, got into more drugs, had more suspicious friends, and so I locked myself away. I didn't care for the outside anymore. I'd rather be locked away in a re- virtual reality. And uh, my sister was more adventurous, and I was more curious like my mom. And my mom started getting more neglectful and abusive, so she started hitting me and my sister. She hit my sister more than me, because I was locked away. And so uh, we went to school, and uh, I told some of my friends, well, I thought they were my friends, that my dad committed suicide. And then they started bullying me, saying, you should do what your dad did, commit suicide. So uh, I, uh, we just for around sixth and seventh grade, I kept jumping schools and schools for almost as many schools as there was in Colorado Spring until uh, I just eventually stopped going. I was smarter than the school system. I already knew what they were teaching. So I just stopped going as my sister went and got bullied herself. And so uh, I locked myself away. My mom didn't feed us. She didn't buy food. So I'd have to go to my grandma's and eat if I wanted to eat. I would share with my dog. My dog would share with me. We were brothers until he died of cancer recently. Um, I Throughout the whole experience, I would always blame God. God, why did you take my dad? Why did you have my mother get into these habits of bringing friends over that would hit her and hit me? Uh, they would just hit and then leave. And why did you hit us? And uh, I just locked myself away. I didn't care about anything until uh, since I was gone for a year, DHS came saying, you have to go to school or we're going to have to take you away to a better home. And so my sister uh, was going to school, and then she had to leave because DHS was getting on to her because she would skip too many days. Uh, she left for about six months with my aunt, who was uh, building a home, better home for us. And uh, DHS found me underneath their radar and started trying to take me away, so my aunt took me away. And uh, we lived in Oklahoma more, I mean Norman, for uh, about a few months. I went to a behavioral school, where I became a normal child. And uh, we moved to, uh, well, we didn't really move that. We just went and got to see the church, Acts 2, and the school I was going to go to, Heartland. And since I skipped a year of school, I had to repeat that grade. And so uh, we, uh, we moved here to Los and which is just over there. And we went to Acts 2. And I found a real connection here to the community, not just God. I didn't really believe in him, but I just found a connection to uh, to the community. I loved the community. I wanted to be around them. They were just so much fun. And uh, now I just want to reconnect with the faith, but I just uh, feel like there's something left behind, and I have to go recollect it. And so I've been going to school. I've been going to church, and uh, I've been doing a lot better. My mom has been... Uh, been getting better with therapy and we're starting to reconnect. And I've always loved my mom. I've never hated her for what she did. I've always loved her and will always love her. Uh, Thank you for listening. Way to go.
0: (laughs) Now, friends, that's courage. That's Christ coming around us. And when I grew up, uh, the preachers would say things like, it's about believing and belonging and becoming. And what we found for this new generation is that that's just not true anymore. It's about belonging. And when they come and belong, and we come and belong, what we find is that Jesus is real. We find that at church camp. We find that in youth group. We find that in worship. We find that in the true relations that we have where we really are there for one another. And so our prayer for Jevin and for other students like him uh, is that he belongs, and He belongs. Uh, and when he goes back to try to heal and help those things that have been broken in his life, uh, he doesn't do that alone anymore. He does that with us. We as a family of faith do that with him. So that as he belongs, he can believe, and then he be- can become uh, the child that Christ has for him all along, the life that he has for him. So I'm so proud of him. I hope, I hope you'll be praying for him and his family. Uh, and God bless his aunt. Um, one of the things that I just love about Jevin, he wouldn't tell you this, is that most Sundays, most Wednesdays, he walks here from La Sonata, he walks to church. I don't, I don't know if we have any other people that are walking to church these days, but there's nothing really close to us. Um, I, wonder, I wonder for those of us who know Jesus really well, if we're that committed, that if your car broke down, you just go ahead and walk to church. Now, those of you who live in Oakdale and Jones, okay, you can take a cab or Uber. But for the rest of us, you know, right? So our action step, friends, is I I just want to remind us that Jesus is well and alive. His Holy Spirit is moving. We'll talk more about how you can receive that spirit uh, next week. So what then are we to say about these things, all these wonderful things of Christ? If God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is no one. No one. Christ is with us. And so I want to ask you to ask Jesus to save you not only from your past. Many of us know that that's possible, but that's not it. That's not the end of the story, not only from your past, but also to empower your present and your future for the very transformation of the world. That's what the United Methodist Church is about. Make disciples for the transformation of the world. And we pray that as you see it happening around you in your community, that you would participate as well, however God is calling you. Will you? Will you receive the life that Christ has offered to you? We pray that you will. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are with Jevin. You are with all of us. You are in our places of need, in our places of joy. And we pray that not only would we focus on the past, but we would look at our present and into the future with you, with what you're calling us to do uh, as individuals, as a church, that all the world would know that you are the Savior of all. You are the greatest hero of all time and all places. For all people, we give you thanks and praise for what you have done. And we join you in the prayer that you have taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. In just a moment, you're going to be given the opportunity to give. Um, there's lots of ways to give here. Um, some of us will give in the plate today. Uh, other folks will give online uh, or scan the QR code on the back of the bulletin or uh, give on their phone, uh, on their drive home. Uh, pull over if you do that. Um, but anyway, however you give, it's all good, and all wonderful. We hope that you'll give with glad and generous hearts. And what you give today um, helps things happen, like what's going on with Jevin and his life. Um, It it lets us have a a robust children's ministry, youth ministry, outreach ministry, uh, mission ministry for the salvation of the world. Uh, You are invited to be a part of that awesome movement of God.